Hello. Thank you for listening to the Avenue GCLC podcast. My name is Christopher Stevens, and I'm the minister at the Avenue G Church of Christ, where we are people of more. We hope that you enjoy and have enjoyed listening to this podcast, where you can find sermons, congregational singing, and talk shows with myself and youth minister Joshua Williams. We pray that the content is a blessing to you, and we hope that everyone listening can join us in person for worship and Bible class. We are located at 601 West Avenue G, Temple, Texas, 76504. And don't forget to visit us online at avegcoc.org. From the people of Moore to you, thank you and God bless. Good morning. We want to welcome everyone here to the Avenue G Church of Christ, where we are people of more. We want to let you know that if this is your first time joining us on today, we are glad that you are uh, here with us, not in person, but online. I want you to focus on today worshiping with us. Um, I, I hope that you have sung the songs along with us. I hope that you have joined in in prayer when we've joined in prayer. I hope that you have focused your heart on communion, uh, during the time of communion. Um, I just want everyone to be able to focus their hearts and give God the praise that he is due on today. Um, if it is your second or first time joining us on this on online uh, worship that we're doing here, we, we appreciate you being here. In the year of 2020, our focus is on being Christians first. Being Christians first. That's our focus. 2020, the message is being Christians first. And if you'll notice from our decorations that we have up, um, it is focused around a presidential type uh, election. Um, the slogan for us here at the Avenue G Church of Christ is Christians first. And what we're going to be doing is every quarter we're going to choose an old presidential slogan to use as our focus in this series every quarter. So there'll be four sermons, and the first one today is titled, Christianity Must and Shall Be Preserved. So our focus is on being Christians first, and before I'm a father, before I'm a brother, before I'm a son, before I'm black, I'm a Christian first. Today our focus is on Christianity must be served. Now, you may be asking yourself, Chris, where did you get this title from? Well, I got it from the, the slogan used by Abraham Lincoln, the union must and shall be preserved. The union must and shall be preserved. Now, Abraham Lincoln, he, he borrowed this from Andrew Jackson. Um, it was used on a, 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 he used it at a birthday party, and they would later change what he said a bit, Andrew Jackson, and make it sound a little bit better, to the union must and shall be preserved. They even put it on a statue that is in, uh, New Orleans, where he fought a famous battle, and uh, Abraham Lincoln used it as his presidential slogan, and it was very key in his election. Uh, at the time that the country was going through its turmoil and going through civil war, and they were fighting for something that had been created that they believed in, and they believed that it was a good thing, they stated that the Union must and shall be preserved. And we're much we're in a battle ourselves as Christians. If you, if you really think about it, Christians 
and their rights and how we profess those rights and profess our beliefs, they're under attack. They're under attack. Christianity in and of itself is under attack. There are people out there who believe that Christianity is about nothing more than making money. And yes, people in the past have used Christianity to start wars. Yes, in the past, people have used Christianity to oppress a whole race of people. And I'm speaking of Bibles that were handed to slaves in America with pages ripped out so that they wouldn't get any ideas about them being free. Yes, Christianity has been used to push hateful agendas, but I want you to understand that Christianity, at its essence, is not about race, it's not about money, it's not about power. And any religion that professes to be about any of those things, any belief system that professes to be about any of those things, is not one that I want to be a part of. The God I serve does not care about my race. The God I serve does not care about how much power I have. The God I serve is not interested in how much money I have. Thank God. Because I don't have a lot, right? Now, when we look at this here, Christianity must and shall be preserved. We're going to be looking at today the book of Acts. Now, Acts is, was written by uh, Luke, which was a physician. And Luke, whenever he gets to writing, he's including all kinds of details about places. And he likes to mention uh, body parts and things. And he, he uses the way he writes is so much different than, than the others. When you look at Luke itself, which is one of the Gospels, you see his writing style. He, he's more uh, built are bent on giving you the details of everything that's happening. He's very detail-oriented, and I appreciate him for that because it makes, makes these historical narratives pop so much more. Uh, in this passage, it happens, and it's placed right after the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was a very special day. Uh, Jesus, after he had ascended into heaven, after he had risen from the dead, after he had proven that he was the Christ, the anointed one, he told his now 11 apostles, he said, I want you to stick around in Jerusalem because what's going to happen later is, is that 50 days after the Passover, the weekend that Jesus was crucified on, there is another celebration, another festival called Pentecost, 50 days. And, and that word Pentecost means 50, right? Uh, it's the 50th day after Passover, and they would come together, all people who worship Yahweh God, uh, the God that we serve, the God of the Bible, they would come from the, all these different places in the known world, speaking different languages of different cultures, they would come back in order to worship God. And so Jesus tells them, I want you to stay there in that place. And what happens in Acts 2 is, is that they then, they, they then say that we need to replace Judas because Judas is at this point hung himself. He is dead now. They replace Judas and something miraculous happens. The Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit comes and it gives them the ability to speak in tongues. Now I want you to understand um, tongues does not mean that they were just up speaking jibber-jabber. It actually means that they were speaking different languages. Peter, he stands up and he begins to speak a message to the thousands and thousands of people who are there on the day of Pentecost. And Peter, when he speaks this message, 
the folks think that he is drunk. Peter assures them that he is not, and he goes into this sermon on the day of Pentecost about the personhood and the divinity of Jesus Christ. And he proves using the same scriptures that they believe in that the same Jesus that was crucified 50 days ago is actually the Christ. And they hear this message and they ask themselves, what shall we do? He tells them, repent, be baptized for the remission of your sins. And they do it. About 3,000 souls on that same day was, were added to the body. We're going to be picking up today in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. And the question that we asked ourselves, or we must ask ourselves is, why? Why? Why must it, Christianity, be preserved? Why must it be preserved? Acts chapter 3, verse number 1. We'll read the text in its entirety. I'll give you a moment to turn your Bibles there if you haven't started already. Usually I like to say, if you're there, say amen. So I'll give you, I'll give you about five seconds here to turn to Acts. Or click your apps and turn to Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. I'll read the text in its entirety. And the Bible says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. That'll be important, the ninth hour. Uh, verse number two, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful, the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Verse number eight, the Bible reads, and leaping up, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Christianity must and shall be preserved. What we're going to look at first is, uh, we see here this man who was carried to the gate at the temple is a man with a pre-existing condition. A man with a pre-existing condition. And, and what's, what's so pertinent about uh, the usage here of, of this wording uh, is that uh, most of us who have insurance would understand that if you have a pre-existing condition and you're trying to get insurance, more likely, you're probably not going to get it, right? Uh, but this man here, he's in the right place at the right time with the pre-existing condition. Again, Acts chapter 3, verse number 1. The Bible reads, Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Verse number 2 says, 
And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now, this here sets the scene for our passage. Peter and John are going to the temple at a time that is prescribed for prayer. That means that he's being carried there. And Peter and John are in this place because this is a time where a lot of people are going to be there. This is a time where people are going to be coming together in order to do what they're supposed to do as they are followers of God. And so the setup of the Temple Mount allowed for Gentiles, right? Those are people who are not Jews. On the outside, they were allowed to be there. And then there was a courtyard where women were allowed that was a little bit closer to the holy place. And then there was another walled section that was allowed for the men. And the holy place, which is right after that, is the place in which only priests were allowed into. And then in the middle of the holy place was a place called the Holy of Holies. And that was the place where God actually dwelt in. And this temple mound included a place where people could come and the rabbis there would teach them three pillars for the Jewish faith. Uh, The first one uh, would be they would learn of the Torah, they would worship God, and the third pillar that they would teach the people there was that they needed to show kindness and charity. And so this man was in the perfect position. So after, because after they had learned the Torah, after they had worshiped God, they would be coming out ready to show kindness and to show charity towards those who asked of it. And so he asked to be brought to this gate called Beautiful, and he was set there in this place so that as they came out, he would start this, this, this repetitious requesting of alms. And alms was the giving of money for those who were in need. So this man, he's in this condition to where he has to be carried to this gate called Beautiful, and he's not able to do anything for himself. He's not able to do anything for himself. He's in a bad place. I know that, that, that as I get older, sometimes there, there are aches and pains, and my body will do certain things, and my shoulders will crack when I get out the bed. Sometimes my hip won't move right when I lift my leg and get out the bed. That's a terrible feeling, not being able to move. That's a terrible feeling, feeling lame. This man here, he wasn't ashamed of his condition because he had lived his whole life in this state. Verse number two says that he was lame from birth, lame from birth. That means when the other little children were running around playing, he was crippled. He was lame. And so at this point in his life, Being lame, being crippled was a normal thing for him. Sin is much like this deformity. You see, what sin does is it causes you to not be able to walk upright, to not be able to walk righteously, to walk the way that God has called us to walk. You see, sin, it's a tricky thing because sin is that thing that you desire to do that you know is the wrong thing to do. You, you know that thing. That, that thing that you don't want anybody to know that you do, right? That thought that you're not supposed to have, but having the thought and engaging in the thing that you don't want to do and that you know is not right actually makes you feel good. 
That right there is sin. When we act on the desire and we fall into the temptation, sin is born. Sin is born. And what sin does is it causes our walk to become a little bit odd. It's not the right way that God has called us to walk. And, and if we're not walking the way that God has called us to walk, we become crippled. And if we keep and continue engaging in sin and we stay in that state, all of a sudden we become something altogether different than what God has truly made us to be. And for some of us, we engage in the sin so long that we're no longer ashamed of it. We no longer feel the remorse that we used to feel when we engaged in a sin. And all of a sudden, being deformed spiritually, being lame spiritually, is normal to us. And we forget, and we have no hope and desire of ever walking upright again. And this man is in that current state right now. He's in that state to where he can't do for himself. He couldn't get up if he wanted to. And that's what sin does to us. When we're living in sin, when we're engaging in sinful actions, there is nothing, nothing that we can do by ourselves to fix it. So you ask the question, what can we do about it? So verse 3 says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. I want you to understand Without Jesus, we are left with crippling conditions that cause us to live a life that is lacking. It causes us to live a life that is lacking. And I want you to understand, I want you to believe on today. Don't be okay with just okay. Well, Chris, I'm getting along fine. I'm making it through life. I'm paying my bills, and I have my ups and downs, and and I make mistakes, and I do this and that. No, don't, don't be okay with just okay because God has better for you. God has better for you. We don't have to, we shouldn't have to be carried around. We should be able to walk upright God's way, living the way that God has called us to live. And so what God does is God offers this man a stimulus package. And some of us right now waiting on that stimulus package to come in. He's not your president, but he is the one that is going to get you that stimulus package. (laughs) God has a stimulus package for this crippled man. What we see in verse number four, the Bible says, And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and he said, Look. Look at us. Look at us. I want you to understand that this isn't by accident. And I want you to also understand that Peter and John didn't come here to meet this man. But sometimes God will have us come across those who are comfortable with being crippled because that's an opportunity for us to give to them what God gave to us. Peter and John didn't come here to give alms to this man, but when they saw him, They saw an opportunity and they said, Peter and John noticed him. They looked at him. They gazed at him and they told the man, pay attention to us. And we ought to be Christians. Listen, Christians, we ought to be a people who can tell the world, tell those who don't know God, tell those who are comfortable with being crippled. We ought to be able to tell them, look at us. 
Look at us. Look, look to us. Do what we do. Do as we do. The Bible says, continues in verse number five, the Bible says, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. I want you to understand that God will call some folks to come into your life because you have the tools, you have the things needed to stimulate change in their lives. Now, now at the part-time job that I work at, uh, at Geek Squad, uh, I'm able to help uh, the tech-challenged people. All right? I, I have the ability to uh, train and give tutorials for people, and people will come in with the most convoluted ways of doing things. I've seen people who, who have complicated systems for writing letters, for planning out their budgets, for doing their taxes, setting up their businesses, and they spend way too much time doing something that a computer can do like that. Sometimes I'll sit down with these people and I'll do a training session with them. I'll do about 40 minutes to an hour with them and they've got it and they're smiling and they're happy. They leave, 24 hours or a week later, they come back and they're yelling, they're cussing, they're angry, they're returning this stuff, saying, I don't want nothing to do with this. And most of the time, those people who are in that section are the people who have not really bought into what I taught them how to do. They didn't really pay attention. They're not interested in putting forth the effort that it takes to get what I'm trying to teach them. And I want you to understand that there's going to be times when we, are, when we are faced with the opportunity to help those who are crippled, there are going to be times where some people just aren't going to buy into Christianity. They're going to say it's too hard. They're going to say when they get frustrated, y'all just want my money. They're going to say whenever Christianity challenges their lifestyle, they're going to say, this isn't for me. I want to... I, I, I want to do what I want to do. Nobody's perfect. But then there are times when I'm doing training with the folks on the computer where people's lives are changed. People's lives are changed. I remember a client that came in who her husband had done everything for her. He, he handled the bills online. He, he, he took care of doctor visits and medications and setting up appointments, all these things he did online. Her husband died. And she was left alone, and I trained her. She caught on. She put forth the effort, and, and this elderly woman, she just got it. And she's a, a regular customer that comes in, right? There are a few people who will catch on, who will obey, and continue. They'll make mistakes along the way, but I want you to understand that the few that do obey is worth it. The few that do obey is worth it. Now, the Bible says again, he fixed his attention on him. And what the Bible is saying right there, that word that they use is, it says that the man who is lame at this gate called beautiful, when Peter and John says, look at me, it says that he fixed his attention on them. He's looking at them and he's like, I need to pay attention so I can get what I'm here to get. He's probably saying to himself, I'm about to get a payday. I'm about to get paid, right? He, say, he, he looks at them and he's looking at them 
to receive something. In verse number six, Peter doesn't give him quite the response that he's looking for. Verse number six, the Bible says, but Peter said to him, I have no gold or no silver and gold. Now, that's an idiom that, it, that he's using there, kind of like when we say it's raining cats and dogs. Peter says, I have no silver. I, I have no gold. I don't have any money for you, bro. That's what he's saying. I don't have any money for you. And this man's got to be like, man, what you stop for then, right? Why, why stop and tell me to look at you if you didn't have what I needed, what I wanted, right? Peter says, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What I do have, I give you. Now, now, now Peter takes the time to tell this man, I don't have what you're looking for, but I can give you what you need. I don't have what you want, but I can give you what you need. This man came looking for change, and he's about to receive it. Look, look, look. He says here, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And a lot of us, we're doing the best that we know how. And it might be that upon hearing about Jesus and what needs to be done in order for us to, be, to become Christians, it may sound awkward. You, you want me to believe in somebody I haven't seen? You want me to be baptized? You want me to do all these different things? Yes, because it's worth it and it's worth being preserved. We're sitting in places we're deformed spiritually, living lives that God didn't intend for us to live, constantly at war with ourselves in our mind, finding earthly solutions, drinking our problems away, sexing our problems away, lying to people that we love, being hateful towards people that might deserve the hate, but we need to show love anyhow. Nobody deserves hate. Our sin causes us to live deformed lives. And if we're by ourselves, we don't have an answer for sin. We have no leg up in this fight. We don't have a bootstrap to pull ourselves up. But God has an answer to this sinful deformity. And that answer is Jesus. The Bible says that Peter next, he, he takes the man by the right hand and he raised him up. And the Bible says that immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Now, you may be asking yourself, what does Jesus have to do with the problem that I'm facing right now? Jesus can't fix what I'm going through. But I want you to understand that when you come into contact with Jesus, immediate change happens. If you look over just a chapter before this one in Acts chapter 2, as I mentioned earlier, Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches this sermon, and he confirms that Jesus is the Christ. Peter says, this, this same Jesus that you crucified, he is the Christ. He is the one that David spoke about being greater than he was. He is the one that would die and never see decay. He is the one who died and came back to never die again. And they asked him, they asked him, Peter, on that day as he preached the sermon on the day of Pentecost. They said, men and brothers... 
what shall we do? Because their hearts were troubled. Their hearts, they, they were having a problem dealing with them playing a part in the death of an innocent man, especially the son of God. And each and every one of us have played a part in the death of Jesus Christ because we've all done wrong. We've all sinned. We've all engaged in that activity that we knew was wrong, and yet we engaged in it anyhow. Everybody's missed the mark. And you got to be asking yourself, if you haven't by now, what do I need to do? What is it that I need to do? Verse number 38, the Bible says, and Peter said to them, he didn't say to them, say a special prayer and you'll be saved. He didn't say to them, accept Jesus into your heart. And that's the solution to how you're feeling and dealing with the problem of sin that is in your life, causing you to live a deformed, crippled lifestyle. But Peter responds to him and he says, repent. Now, I want you to understand that repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change of action. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change of action. Understand that if you want to take the first step of fixing your crippled spiritual life, of fixing that thing of you wanting to do the thing that you know you're not supposed to do, you got to change your mind about it first. Peter says, change your mind so you can change your actions. And then he says also, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus Christ packs a punch. Be baptized. That word there in the Greek, it literally means to be buried. It literally means to be buried. Water has been used throughout the whole Bible as a means of salvation. Think about this for a moment. The children of Israel, as they leave Egypt, they, they were in bondage. They were slaves to the Egyptians. And when God told Moses to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, Moses led them through water, the Red Sea, toward salvation, which was in the promised land. When, when, when Joshua took over from Moses and he's leading them into the promised land, they again passed through water, through the Jordan, to salvation. And now God has called us through Peter by way of Jesus to say to us, that the way to salvation, the way to the promised land, the way to living this life that is upright and righteous is through water, through burial in water. And what happens is, is that we reenact the gospel. The gospel, according to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a reenactment. I remember whenever I was a child, my father would watch the Unsolved Mysteries show. And I would sit there terrified because first thing I'm wondering in my mind is, why is someone recording other people being killed and hurt? It was scary to watch that show. But what I didn't understand at the time was that that wasn't the real thing. That was a reenactment that was showing what had happened before. Well, baptism is something similar to that in that we go into the water, we are buried as Jesus was buried in the tomb. The old us dies, the one that lived for the self, the one that lived to, to, to justify and, and, and please the flesh dies. And when we rise up, or when we're in the water, excuse me, we meet the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus the spiritual surgery, and it washes our sins away. When we rise up out of the water, we're new creatures in Christ. All old things are passed away. Those things that people won't let you forget that you did, guess what? God 
will pardon you for it. God doesn't say that you didn't do it. He knows you did it, but what he says is you're no longer guilty for what you did in your past. That's what baptism does. That makes you a Christian. Baptism for the remission of your sins makes you a Christian. Peter says to this crowd here, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what's so special about this is, is that God will not leave us on this earth without some type of help. The Holy Spirit that you receive is a comforter, is a teacher. And God has left behind his spirit-inspired word in order for us to know just how it is that we ought to live. And that's a great thing. That's a great thing. Peter tells them, repent, be baptized for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't cause you to act a fool, jumping around and slobbering and, and, and saying all kinds of things nobody can understand. The Holy Spirit teaches, it comforts, it translates for God what it is that you're going through. The Holy Spirit can do so much for you. Peter tells them, save yourself from this crooked generation. Those people that heard the message, they were baptized, and it says that they were added on that day about 3,000 souls. The stimulus that this crippled man received, it offered immediate change. You may be saying God can't affect specifically what it is that's going on in your life, but God can affect the crippling effect in your spiritual life. He has an answer for the problem of sin. He has an answer for the problem of sin, and that is by way of Jesus Christ. God will stimulate immediate change in your life by way of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see that this man, when he's healed, he doesn't just keep it to himself. This man, when he, he receives the strength to stand up, trickle-down praise happens. Trickle-down praise happens. Verse number 8, the Bible says, And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This man came here to beg for money so that he can have what he needed to live. But now, after coming into contact with Jesus through Peter and John, he's now entering the temple praising God. He's leaping up and down. He's walking around giving praise to God. And I believe that this is so necessary in this story because when God does something for you, you ought to let the whole world know. Now, some of this may, may, may cause our conspiracy theorists to have, to have a cow, but I want you to think about this for a moment. Just think if somebody were to put in the work of, of figuring out a cure for this terrible pandemic that we're going through, the coronavirus. They figured out a cure, and they had it, and they cured themselves, right? They received the cure, and then they kept it to themselves. And they watched other people struggling and other people dying. And they watched people dropping like flies all over the world. And they keep the cure to themselves. I want you to know that if you're a Christian and you've been healed by God to not lead a crippled, deformed spiritual life and you keep that to yourself, you're no different than that person. You have what the world needs in order to walk upright to live a life that God intended. God didn't intend for us to live like we live. The Garden of Eden didn't look like what our world looks like here. 
It was a world that depended on God, his will, his way. We were supposed to have dominion over creation, not let the creation have dominion over us. We're controlled by money. We're controlled by things. We're controlled by people. We're supposed to have dominion over creation with God according to his will. What happened? What happened? This man, he receives this stimulus package from God, and all of a sudden he's jumping around, he's leaping, he's walking, he's going into the temple, and can't nobody stop his praise. He's got a trickle-down praise happening. And what I want to let you know is, is that if you have the God-giving fix, then you ought to share it. Verse number nine, it says, and, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. And verse 10 says, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. He was asking them for help. And now he's helping all the people that were there because there were some people there who did not recognize who Jesus was. And with them seeing his praise, his leaping, his shouting for joy that God did something about something he couldn't do something about caused them to see Jesus. It caused them to see Jesus and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. They're wondering, what, 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 what caused him to be able to change? Some people may look at you just like people look at me. I know who I used to be. I know what I used to do. I know what I used to be about. But God enabled me, gave me the privilege of presenting his word to the world. It's not something that I did. It's all God. It's all God. Don't ever be ashamed of your crippled days. The time in which you couldn't do anything about your present state. When you couldn't walk. When people had to carry you from place to place. And you were just looking for things that would temporarily fix you. Whether it be drugs, whether it be alcohol, whether it be sex. You were looking for temporary fixes to a permanent problem, and only God had the fix. Don't forget where you used to be, because I want you to understand, listen closely, I want you to understand that there is someone who believes that being crippled is normal, and they need to hear that they don't have to stay that way. They need to hear that there is a better way. They need to see that there is hope, and they need to see that the answer is God through Jesus Christ. Christianity must and shall be preserved. Your crippled days are a testimony to the power of God. Your crippled days, when you weren't walking right, they're a testimony to the power of God. Christianity must and shall be preserved because it offers healing to a hurting world, a world that is deformed, a world that looks much different than what God wanted it to look like and be like. It must be preserved because it offers salvation. It offers a happy and joyous way of living right now 
A lot of people like to look at Christianity and say those people, uh, they're just living a pipe dream for something that is to come that they haven't seen yet. I want you to understand that Christianity allows me to have joy right here now. I have problems. I have bills. I have things that happen in my life that I can't control. But because I have God, I have joy. I don't have to have things happening in my life for me to have joy. Christianity offers that. I didn't know how to be a father. I didn't know how to be a husband. Christianity offers that. God lets us know everything that we need to know to live a happy life, not only after, but in the now. And if you walk up right with him now, you live in eternity with him later. If you're not a Christian on this morning, I want you to understand that you live beneath your privilege. God has written a beautiful love story to you. And that's the thing that's different. Other religions, when you, when you focus in on what's required of them and what, what their God says that it is that you should do, other religions aren't like Christianity in that Yahweh God is the only God who wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to be a part of your life. You go and do your research. You go and do your research about other religions and what their gods require and what they must do for salvation or nirvana or whatever inner peace that it is that you seek. Yahweh God is the only one that wants to be a part of your life. He wants so much to be a part of your life that he sent his son Jesus down here to live a life as a human being. He felt every emotion that you feel. He felt pain, just like you feel pain. Those nails going through his flesh, he felt that. He did it for us. Do you believe that to be true? Are you willing to repent of your sins? That means change your mind that leads to a change of actions. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And lastly, will you be baptized for the remission of your sins? I know that we have a limit on who we can have in this building or how many people we can have in this building. But if you want to be baptized today, hit us up. Send a message. We'll find a way to make it happen. If you want to, to be pardoned of the sins that you've committed in your past, let us know. and We'll baptize you today. If you're a Christian and you've been ashamed of, of your crippled past lifestyles, I challenge you. Tell people about what you used to be, how you couldn't do for yourself. And watch how they're amazed at what God did with you now. That's my lesson for today. I thank you for joining us. Please do so as we sing the song of invitation. Thank you.